When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On episode 5 of the Green Street Hammers podcast, Adam, Scott, and Jeremiah are reliving the uninspired loss at Brighton, then jump into Twitter questions about injuries, international duty, and more. Keep it locked on the Green Street Hammers podcast. Alright, welcome to the Green Street Hammers podcast. We are back for episode 5 amidst the second international break of the season. And while stories are a little bit thin as far as content goes, uh, me, Jeremiah, and Scott are here to talk about the last match and upcoming news. Gentlemen, how are we doing this fine afternoon? I am good. Uh, I'm good. Yeah, I'm feeling feeling ousted by Glenn Murray still, but I'm good. <laughs> uh, well, this morning is all okay for me. But yeah, hi. bit of a shame to end the uh and the sort of session on a on a loss to Brighton, but I'm sure we'll use the international break to recover. Yeah, and I'm, I mean, we might as well jump right into it. That's sort of the uh, the one thing we can comment on. Uh, the Brighton match, we'll, we'll sort of go through that, give our thoughts on it. Um, just to, to tell the, the tale of the tape here, uh, West Ham did lose that match. Uh, what's the initial, what's your, in one sentence, if you can, sum up your thoughts on that Brighton match? Uh, I thought it was lackluster. Uh, pretty much all around. I didn't really think we had any impetus on the match. I would say that uh, we got ousted by age, and it didn't look, for most of the match, like we had a lot of heart in it. Yeah, I think I can't disagree with either of you on those. Um, I mean, we're missing Jeff today, who probably would, which we we desperately need. Um, But... (laughs) As far as stats go, I'm just going to break it down here. Shots, West Ham had 17 compared to 9. And each team had four on target. West Ham had 65% of possession. They made nearly 250 more passes than Brighton at 514. Their accuracy for passes was 83%. Uh, They had eight fouls opposed to 12 for Brighton. Uh, Each team had a fair share of yellow cards. Two for West Ham, three for Brighton. Um, West Ham caught Brighton offside five times, which again uh, is a testament to Pellegrini's high line and, and that defense coming together. And West Ham were able to collect nine corners opposed to Brighton's two. And I do believe four of those corners came in succession, one right after another, um, to sort of stop Brighton from attacking West Ham at the start of the match and taking control of the game, which was good. It was necessary. But I agree with what you guys were saying. It was sort of lackluster and didn't really have a lot of heart to it. Um, And I think the main thing that we didn't see from West Ham, in my opinion, was the intensity that they brought to the start of the game uh, that they showed against Manchester United. Uh, West Ham could sn- could smell blood in the water, and they essentially attacked Manchester United right away, brought the pressure, used their wing backs or their full backs, got pressure in the box, got bodies in the box, and they were rewarded with an eight-minute goal, I believe. So um, they didn't bring any of that intensity. And in my opinion, it's not against West Ham that they didn't do this. It's a credit to Brighton because for this whole match, Brighton 
had a game plan and they stuck to it and they started three up front for the first time. They definitely set up for West Ham, but it, there was just a lack of intensity as far as attacking came, certainly in the first half. Yeah, I uh, just didn't think we had the setup to really hurt Brighton. I mean, they were a very different side to Man United. When we played United and Chelsea, they were going to leave more space at the back, push forward. Brighton were quite simply, I mean, they, they're back four with their back four. And that was their job was to defend the match. And they did that. They stopped players like Anderson, Yarmolenko getting a run at them. They didn't allow any space in behind. Uh, our best chances were from set pieces and sort of like balls into the box on the side where we haven't been overly successful this season so far. I mean, Balbuena missed uh, a glaring header. Um, and uh, Arnautovic hit, hit over. But they weren't sort of free-flowing chances. They were set pieces. They were after we'd had the sort of like prolonged periods where we'd had the ball, got in the side. And it it sort of took away uh, Anderson and Yarmolenko's threat because we've seen them sort of isolate a fullback, cut inside, create chances, have a shot. And that meant we had to change the game plan. We didn't really know how to. We didn't really know how to be patient and like sort of prior part of the Brighton defence. So Brighton treated us like a big team and we kind of went, oh, okay, uh, not used to this. <laughs> uh, and yeah, they, they took their chance as well. I mean, it's borderline whether they should have had a second as well. Uh, I can't quite remember, but I remember looking at that when it was this loud for offside and thinking, oh, that's pretty close. So we could have been worse and they played their game plan well. Um yeah, they, they've got some old players in the side, but they use their experience very well. Jeremiah, what do you think? What, what are your in-depth analysis uh, on on this match? Yeah, so I didn't get to watch the match on TV. I was on the road, but I got to listen to it on the radio. And just for me, the number one thing that stood out was the amount of chances that we had and didn't um, come through on. The, uh, the missed chances was huge for me. You know, I, I kind of joked about it. We were talking earlier, and uh, when Arnie missed that shot towards the end of the game, I almost wrecked and came off the road because I thought for sure I heard it pass Arnautovic in the in the box. I thought for sure it was going in, and uh, and yeah. So the missed chances really got me. Their defense, and, and I kind of was all week really just kind of saying we just didn't play well. We didn't play well. I started looking back at it again, and and Brighton just they did like you said, Scott. They did what they were supposed to do. They they defended well. I mean, Bruno, who's, what, 38? I think I heard he was 38. He, I mean, he's hung tight with Felipe Anderson pretty much the whole match. Um, they attacked. They attacked well. Um, and and you, you could almost, for me, you could see that goal coming when Yarmolenko kind of got trapped in the midfield and, and let the ball go. And you could almost, as a West Ham fan, I feel like I could almost see it coming. And then, sure enough, there was Glenn Murray. Like I said before, he was wide open in the box, and that is obviously a, a downfall for Mazuaku, I think. And, and I don't know, I think we're going to talk about him later. But, yeah, for me overall, I think it was just a, uh, uh, maybe like I said before, just lack of heart. And, you know, the first half was rough. Second half, we looked better with chances, but we didn't succeed on those chances. Yeah, and I'm happy you brought up the goal and that that, that sort of uh, feeling of, oh, no, here it comes again uh, as a West Ham fan because you kind of – we do get those, those feelings. And uh, granted, in the last month, uh, we haven't really – 
succumb to them, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did feel like, oh no, they're getting a rush up the wing, and and it was all too all too easy. And the crowds cheering them on as they're going. Um, but the goal itself, I think, exposed a massive weakness, um, and that's in in fullback play. Zabaleta was up the field. Um, he was rushing forward to give Yarmolenko a spot to put the ball. Yarmolenko didn't pick him up, turned it over, and that's sort of the price you pay for having fullbacks that go up and down the, the sidelines. But if you watch the replay, uh, Issa Diop gives uh, a look over his shoulder at Glenn Murray and sees Mazuaku beside him and steps up to cover Balbuena, who had stepped up to cover Zabaleta's spot. And there's just no defensive coverage whatsoever on these uh, on that uh, on that goal. So I think it's it's a it's a pretty glaring weakness in West Ham. What, what do you think about Mazuaku and his performances recently, and, and specifically this one, Scott? I think uh, to say that he's been awful all season would be harsh because he's had some decent games. But it's when he's really sort of tested on his concentration that it fails. I think he had a very good game against Arsenal, for example. But in that game, I would expect him to be switched on. Uh, it's a game where it was open, it was flowing, it was it was forcing him to sort of think a lot. And when you have that sort of constant stimulation, you don't tend to switch off. Against Brighton, he was he didn't really force anything attacking and he didn't look solid defensively. And if you're not doing either of those things, you're not really sure what you're doing on a football pitch. It uh, So if, when you switch off and leave someone who is as good a poacher as Murray, I mean, even to call him a poacher might be doing him a disservice. He's a very, I was going to say, you're consi- giving him he's no a very, there. <laughs> he's a very consistent... A Premier League striker, but he doesn't he doesn't do anything extraordinary. He just does everything very simply well. Um, I mean, his movement wasn't lightning fast. He just just wandered away from Mazuaki, almost in like a I'm going to do this so nonchalantly that you won't notice I'm doing it. Um, and Mazuaki didn't didn't follow him. Uh, I think if Pellegrini wants to play with the back four, you have to have like first and foremost, you have to have a left back that's going to do the defensive job. If they can do the defensive job and assist like, down that side uh, going forward, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. But your first task has to be not to concede those kind of goals. And as early as that was, it should have been he should have been really tied to him. Yeah, and you'd like to see at least that sort of light of fire under the team. And and we had said we had, we told the the stats and West Ham were kind of dominating the match statistically. Um, but there was just no clinicalness to the finishing. There was no finishing to be had, really. Um, and it was just sort of an off day. Uh, I thought Lewis Dunk and Shane Duffy, their center defenders, did well shutting down West Ham. But you would like to see, okay, Mazuaku gets beat defensively. In my mindset, clearly he's a, he's a competitor. I mean, he got that red card last season for spitting on the player, which is never commendable. But um, it at least it was something that was an emotional reaction. Uh, and he was again. He was kind of mixing it up with Brighton players again, pushing somebody during the match, uh, and he was he was actually highlighted for that. So there, that emotion's there. I would just like to see him then say, "Okay, I now owe the team one," and start whipping in crosses into the box, start dribbling, looking for that shot from the outside of the box, which we know he can take. So I don't know if he's been asked to focus more defensively, and if that's true, then it kind of shows how one-dimensional of a player he is because he can't take that in stride and add that to his game. He has to completely shut off the offense to focus on defense, and it's just not its just not the same. 
Yeah, I agree. Right. Yeah, I agree too. And I, I think, and like you said, I don't want to be too harsh on him to say he's been awful or he's the worst. But the other three in defense back there look so good that it makes him, when he screws up, it makes it look even worse. And I think uh, you're right. I think he does have heart. I think maybe it was a Friday night game. It was at Brighton. It didn't have maybe as much pizzazz as a normal, you know, playing Man United or Arsenal. But uh, I think, yeah, him getting caught out like that, it, it's it scares me. Honestly, he needs to to work, and he doesn't he doesn't look the same like he did last year or even the year before. You were talking about getting up and 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 crossing the ball in. Even his crosses, to me anyway, this year haven't looked like they have in the past. He used to be really, that used to be part of his game. And, and this year, for whatever reason, they just seem a lot more lackluster. Yeah, actually, I, I did just uh, release an article grading the the defense and, and specifically the fullbacks. When it comes to Mazuaku, he was dropped from a 6 out of 10 to a 5 out of 10 uh, for the last month of play. And crosses, he's only sent 11 crosses into the box. And he started every Premier League game for West Ham. He's only, uh, he's only, attempted 11 crosses and has 18 percent accuracy with that uh so it's a little bit it's a little bit uh i don't know uh, not not an encouraging stat for for um reference uh zabaleta has 10 crosses in two less games and a 30 percent accuracy rating on that so um when it comes to teams like brighton we've, we've said there's a notable difference and a decided difference between them and some of the top tier talent um not, I mean, quality-wise, sure, but just marquee-wise, we'll, we'll say. Um, should we have had a... I know you never change a winning team, but should you... Should we have had, as West Ham uh, armchair managers, should we have had a different setup here? Um, I think we should have. And it, again, hindsight's twenty twenty, but we needed to have somebody dictating play behind Arnautovic. And I think we could have made the decision to take out uh, Pedro Obiang and put in Robert Snodgrass in the middle of the, of the pitch. I don't know if... Is, is there any ideas you guys have about setting up for these lower level teams in the Premier League? Yeah, I think you uh, probably said the only choice that you can really make. I mean, you're not changing the front three. They play very well. Uh, you're probably not making any changes at the back four because apart from Masawaka, they've all played really well. Um, may, uh, I say Cresswell doesn't really add much at the moment. Uh, but yeah, I think Obiang is the only player. He's kind of in that versatile role. role. Against the big teams, he's got that combination of fight and sort of talent going forward that would help us out. But yeah, against teams like Brighton, against probably other mid-table and lower table, like lower half teams, you probably want that extra bit of creativity. It's really gutting that you don't have someone like Lanzini because uh, he would have been absolutely perfect. He would, uh, I mean, he's quick, he's very good on the ball, he's happy to drop off, he's happy to play as a 10, he's very hard to mark. Uh, Snodgrass probably is our best option at the moment, given injuries we have, and maybe it would have been the move to make, but I think with Pellegrini being as early into the, sort of his managerial spell at West Ham as he is, doesn't want to mix that up too much, he doesn't want to be caught chopping and changing whilst he doesn't have any need to. He knows the next game's an international break. He doesn't need to give people a rest. So I I can see why he didn't change it. Uh, but maybe, I can't remember when he made the first change when, when Snodgrass did come on, but that could have been something he does very quickly. But once you go one goal down to Brighton, they're going to do one thing, and that is sit back two banks of four and hit you. 
uh, as soon as they get the ball. Like, it hit you quickly. So it became a much harder game. Yeah, actually, the the changes that came, uh, and this this is a perfect segue to it, uh, 60th minute, 70th minute, 83rd minute. The first change was actually Mikel Antonio on for Pedro Obiang, and Snodgrass didn't come on until the 83rd minute when he replaced Noble. Um, but I think that something needs to be said about Mikel Antonio and the quality of his play. Um, he He doesn't look like the same player he used to be, but he doesn't even look like a player who can play – you know, he played for 30 minutes plus extra time or added time. Sorry. I don't know what he offers on this team anymore. I, I, I love, let me, let me rephrase that. I loved Mikhail Antonio. I don't know uh, so much anymore how I feel about him. I think, I think you're absolutely right. I think, I don't know where I see him because he'll do, he'll do his game of try to kick the ball past somebody and sprint past them. And then when it doesn't work, it almost looks like he's winded and exhausted he looks probably like how i would look if i was out there playing <laughs> but uh but uh yeah i i really have no words I, I don't know i uh disappointment i think uh for sure i think i, I hoped uh at the beginning of the season when i heard that pellegrini was going to keep him on and try at least until the january transfer window um to me uh, to me we got to sell him because i just don't see what he adds anymore especially when because you could put snodgrass out there if you needed to and uh, i think that's maybe more natural for him i'm not 100 percent sure but he shows you know heart and you'll see him out there running around the entire game like a crazy person when he comes on and mikhail just i don't see that from him anymore so to me i think you gotta you gotta try to find a good fit for him and 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 send him away any thoughts yeah. on Antonio there scott uh, yeah, I say I really did enjoy him the first sort of season, two seasons we had him because he just ran his he, he ran his legs off. He really did, and I don't see that uh, sort of breakneck attitude from him, him 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 anymore. And if that's gone, he really isn't technically gifted enough to be our first first choice sub there. Um, he doesn't really add much. Uh, I mean. In, number of times he got the ball down his wing and tried to cross in and it just went nowhere like or it went miles out it, it, they these are mistakes that a professional footballer at premier league level shouldn't be making on a regular basis like if you miss hit one cross you go oh, okay that's a mistake but when you're doing it like two or three times a match you're going well do you actually have the ability to do this i don't no, if he does, I don't know. Maybe what he needs is something like what Snodgrass did. Uh, when Snodgrass was playing, uh, when we first signed him, he didn't really gel with the team. Didn't really know where, like, Billich certainly didn't know where his best position was. Um, and then he went away to Aston Villa, had a great season. He's come back and he looks great. Um, maybe that's what Antonio could do, is go somewhere... Maybe Championship, maybe Scottish Premier League, I think I saw someone saying, uh, might be a good fit for him. Uh, and just play a season. Play a season where he's going to try and he's going to get regular matches and try and rediscover that desire, that intensity. Because without that, he's not worth keeping. Uh, unless you get an Antonio that's going to run, run himself ragged, he's not, he's not worth having in that that position to come and help your team. I'd rather see, I'd rather see Dean Garner uh, come on because he just seems to have more about him uh, and he seems to be more switched on. Uh, so yeah, I, 
I think uh, we need to look at other options for Antonio. Yeah, I can't I can't disagree with you there, and I, and I think that that uh, we've covered what we can from that Brighton match. It was just a kind of a, a dud of a game. We'll move on. We'll get ready for Tottenham, and uh, we'll actually touch on that in our next segment, which will be Twitter questions, which is coming up just after this. All right, so we're back with some Twitter questions here, uh, and we did get a, a few answers and a few um, a few questions uh, from our followers on Twitter. Hammers and Hockey comes up first at Texas Avs AVS. Uh, he basically wants us to touch on the Andy Carroll two year contract option that's been in the news lately. Um, we are uh, at least two of us are known Andy Carroll apologists and lovers. That would be me and Jeremiah. Uh, and I think Scott has a, a bit more sense to him than we do. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give the floor. We'll say to Jeremiah first. We can sandwich Scott with some uh, Andy Carroll love here. But, uh, yeah, Jeremiah, what, what do you – is there any sense in, in the old uh, two-year extension on Carroll's contract? Man, you know I'm all for it. Uh, <laughs> I, and I love that we're going to sandwich Scott in the middle of this because maybe we'll be able to change his mind too. I hope so. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know I love it. Um, there's something about having him. He's like a cult hero, if you will, uh, to me anyway. And maybe not much hero. Would we say he scored – how many goals did we say he scored in the last, like, two, three years? Like, ten? So, not yeah, – not, yeah, not, I don't think he's uh, ever scored more than ten in the I season, don't think so, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, maybe not on a statistical level. But I think that if they can work it through and they can make it work, then it'll be good. Um the more players, the more Premier League players that we can have and we can keep that have had somewhat seasons under their belts and have had time to um, play like him. And, you know, it, we were talking last segment about crosses in and whatnot. I mean, who better to cross a ball into than Andy Carroll? Uh, so for me, yeah, get it done. Uh, um, the, the, the option would be to extend the current current deal. And I think the current deal vastly overpays him. He's on something like 90 grand a week without playing. Uh, so we're paying him while he's injured. He gets more every time he plays. I would be very for a deal if we could like cut that. They're sort of taking down to a regular wage, that's sort of 30, 40K a week, and have playing bonuses, scoring bonuses, because then he's probably worth it. He's a great plan B. But if West Ham go ahead and exercise this option, He's a, I, I don't really see much sense in it. He, we could get someone else for that money. Like, it's very good money. We could definitely get someone for that wage that is going to be more versatile, potentially be more like on Arthur in playing style so we wouldn't have to disrupt the whole team. Yeah, um, when I first heard about it, I thought it was a player option and I thought, okay, well, he's extending that because realistically, who's he going to get paying him 90 grand a week um, when he doesn't play every day? Like, so I'm looking at his stats at the moment. He's never played, the most he's played in the season for us is 27 games and he scored nine goals that season. That's not brilliant stuff for a real top, uh, top wage earner. So I'd like to, yeah, I think uh, I think it might be time, it might be time for Andy Carroll to to go. Yeah, see, I'm I'm somewhere in between, because I would love to have him here because, like both of you had said, there's nobody better to come off the bench and, and make an impact, um, with very simple a very simple style of football being played that that sort of 
plays to his strengths. Um, but 90K a week seems too much, too rich for my blood. I like the idea of what you said, Scott. I mean, if he, if he likes the idea of uh, a two-year contract, come to him and say, we're not going to extend you. Feel free to test free agency. Here's our plan. It's going to be a 25, or it's going to be like, a, I don't know, like a, a 40K a week base salary. And there's going to be starting bonuses. There's going to be fit for the bench bonuses. And there's going to be goal scoring bonuses on it. So he's always going to have that safety net of making 40K a week, which is less than half of what he's making now, which may be too, too poor for his blood. Um, but he gets the added bonus of having an incentive to show up and, and make his uh, make the most of his opportunities. So I want him back. I definitely do. But he he's currently... I don't know. He's currently mired in this injury rut. The news is coming out that he's going to be back training after the international break with the first team with uh, his target being set on the Tottenham uh, Cup game or the Leicester game at earliest, probably not going to be made in, make it fit in time for the Tottenham League game, which is on the 20th of October. But uh, I, I honestly, I would love to see him go up against Leicester City. Leicester City uh, brought in Johnny Evans, who I watched get embarrassed by Carroll on a nothing cross. Uh, actually, it was him and Hagazi. They double teamed Carroll on this flick. Carroll just launched above both of them, bullied the ball into the net. It was wonderful. Um, but I, I would like to see him back. I think, like we had said, if, if Arnautovic is grinding you down all game, leaning on you, pressuring you, looking for passes, having great technical skill, and wearing you down. And then in, in the 75th minute, West Ham's up a goal or two, and you see Arnautovic goes off, you think, great. And then you see Andy Carroll comes on. That has to be such a depressing feeling to be like, come on. This guy's coming on fresh. <laughs> He's a monster. He swings his elbows like, a, like a, a nightmare. And we have to deal with this guy now. And I think there could be a psychological effect to that too. And under David Moyes, under Slavin Bilic, if he was fit, he was going to be a starter. So mm-hmm. I think having him as a bench option is a great option to have uh but have him know his role basically say to him you're going to be coming on for 10 to 20 minutes max a game maybe you'll get a cup start here and there but we don't want you getting injured and we don't want you to lose you know empty your gas tank so you know maybe there's a a way back for him there do you guys want to see him injected into the starting 11 if he comes back from injury for let's say that tottenham cup game I don't uh, necessarily know if I want to see him come right into the starting 11, but like we had talked about before, we have other strikers, you know, with, with Lucas Perez and, and, and Chicharito, but watching um, watching Lucas play last game, and, and we haven't seen Chicharito come back yet, so we don't know quite what's going on with that. But, but yeah, I'd want to see him maybe come in at the half or come in somewhere around the 60 or 70-minute mark and uh, – because you're absolutely right. I mean, if he is healthy, he should play. Um, I mean, that's a big key question is, is he's going to be healthy? Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I think I don't think we start him. But I think you definitely bring him in and, and, and see what he's got compared to the other two guys that are currently riding the bench with him or going to be competing for that bench spot with him. Yeah, I, I said last week, I think that I don't really want to be a Premier League side that has Andy Carroll as their starting striker. It kind of uh, changes your um, changes your style and that kind of thing, but he's definitely an impact player. Yeah, and and, and a, a kind of a good bridge here 
when we're talking about players coming back that can have a positive impact uh, would be Jack Wilshere. Uh, it was revealed on the West Ham Way podcast last night uh, or yesterday, depending on where in the world you're listening to this, or two days ago, who knows. Uh, it, it's been revealed that that Wilshere is going to be back in training after the international break with the team again, which is great news. Uh, I think psychologically for him, the quicker he can get back on the pitch without doing damage to himself, the better it's going to be. And his target is going to be the Burnley game, which is the first game in November on the 3rd. Um, I think that's a solid time to have him back in. Uh, would you like to see either of you guys, would you like to see him injected into the starting 11 if he's fit? I, I think he's a very good player. And if he can really sort of get hold of the ball and impact the game the way we saw Aubameyang do against Everton, he could play that role really well. But if if he doesn't, if he seems to sort of get in the same sort of positions as we saw with Noble, sort of they, they seem to tread on each other's toes a little bit and just sort of... Uh, trip each other over uh i'd like to see them work out a way to play together because i think he's potentially more versatile than obia yeah i would agree with that i would uh maybe you know i i don't want to say just after the brighton game but all of a sudden you know because of how we looked to start making changes and 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 everything like that but i do think that he could fill into that role if, if you can get him a little further up then, like you said, playing with Noble, then they kind of there wasn't much, you know, that I liked about what he was doing in those couple games. But if you can get him up front a little bit further to be able to make those passes up front and to be able to play as an extra attacking force in some ways, I think that we can use him because he's a great player. You know, he obviously injury prone as well, but there's no doubting. I don't think anybody doubts Jack Wilshire and his abilities. Yeah, I, I agree with what, what you guys are both saying there. Maybe maybe wait him back in, let him have 30 minutes in the second half. We had mentioned it before, Obiang doesn't do a lot of things very loudly. He'll win you tackles in the game. He'll, he'll make some nice passes. Uh, he'll, he'll sort of play give and go with Felipe Anderson. But he doesn't do things uh, like Declan Rice breaking up massive defensive plays or like Mark Noble just bringing that sort of enthusiasm and caringness onto the pitch. Um, so he Obiang's the the easy one to drop out of the team, which I think is probably justified. And with him wanting to go back to Italy, um, it's probably going to happen in the off season. So why not try and get the most out of a player who's going to be here long term and, and get him back into your starting eleven? He was he was one of West Ham's best players in their first month of action. So give him a chance with this team that's finally clicking to play with Yarmolenko to sort of. Uh, to sort of set yourself up uh, to be uh, to be a stronger 11 on the whole. All right, rounding out our talk here on Andy Carroll, I think it may be necessary to to sort of touch base on that question that we did get uh, from at Hammers and Hockey, sorry, from Hammers and Hockey at Dallas Avs. Um, any final thoughts on, on Carroll there? Yeah, I don't know about final thoughts. I mean, you know my love for... <laughs> for Andrew Thomas Carroll. And, uh, <laughs> but I did have a question I wanted to pose back to you and, and I don't have an answer to this question. So I'm going to, I'm going to set you up for this. But um, if we don't go ahead and extend his contract and we do decide to ship him off, what clubs or any clubs at all can you think of that might be interested in picking him up? Uh, it's difficult to say. I know Scott was talking about championship teams or, uh, or uh, Scottish Premier League teams f- for um, 
Mikel Antonio, but I don't think that would be the case for Carroll. He sort of his name does come with some some clout to it. Um, yeah. I think someone like his original team, Newcastle, like I think he's from up near Newcastle, anyways, too. So I think that could be a landing spot for him. They also missed the the boat drastically when it comes to strikers because they let Mitrovic go. They couldn't get the best out of him. Um, so getting someone in there that simplifies the game. They brought Solomon Rondon in, Rodon in, uh, to to do that same thing. So he could be an option off the bench for them or even starting. Uh, and you'd probably bag 15 goals in the second half of the season if that happened. But I think you you would be looking for those teams that are bottom of the table. Like uh, Huddersfield does have some good striker options or some young striker options. So I don't see mm-hmm. them being a fit. But Newcastle, definitely. They're not having a good start to the season. Um, Southampton's been kind of clicking. So I, I don't see that either. Let me look here. Let's look at the table and see. Burnley, they could be a team. Uh, they just sort of or existing at the moment. Cardiff, mm-hmm. I don't see them turning down the opportunity to get someone like Andy Carroll. Uh, and West Ham probably would not be asking for much of anything when it comes to a price for him. So uh, it could be a, a good scoop option. Or even if you look at someone, I mean, top teams like Chelsea were snooping around for him last year. Uh, so you never know what team could use a target man to, to round out their attack. Right. I would be, I guess I would be surprised to see a top six type team come in, but uh, we've seen it before. And like you said, with Chelsea snooping around last year, I guess, I guess as I asked the question, I thought about Newcastle because that's where he came from. And, and you are right. He does, he's from somewhere up in that area. Um, Cause they're just kind of, I think to me it would, it would have to be a team that's just kind of started out poorly and maybe doesn't have a whole lot of striker options or, uh, doesn't have just the kind of flow that they want um it would be a shame and i guess it would be a fear of me to let it go and then like you said he would he would bang in about 15 or 20 <laughs> in the second half and uh and then we'd all look stupid so um yeah i don't other than that i mean because he, he does come with a name you know and and it's not just in english football that people know his name he's known um, around different countries as well. I think I don't see him leaving to go to other countries as much as he might like to go on holiday and uh, travel around quite a bit. I think that, uh, I mean, maybe a top championship side that was pushing for promotion, maybe. Um, but I think that if we do offer him a contract, he's going to take the money because who wouldn't? Yeah, I, I think you're. I think you're right on that. And I think that's a good a good spot to sort of leave it there. It, it's sort of in his hands, his future. Um, so hopefully he comes back and, and starts lighting a fire on the team here. Um, but we'll, we'll move on here to uh, a question that was brought up by that guy Blake at heavy underscore sunshine. And he's just asking for our opinions on the six players that West Ham sent away for international duties and how we think they'll actually do in that time period. Um, I'll let you sort of have the run of the gambit first there. But I'll, uh, I'll list the players here. Yarmolenko to the Ukraine, uh, Arnautovic to Austria, Snodgrass to Scotland, Mazowaku to the Democratic Republic of Congo, Fabianski to Poland, and Balbuena to Paraguay. Right. So I think I'll start out with Balbuena since that's where he finished. I don't think um, – I think we looked that up already. He doesn't – I don't think he's actually playing any games, but he's back doing uh, training and practices and whatnot. But uh, I'll be interested to see – especially because he's on this side of the world, kind of once that uh, all kicks up again here later on. Um, Arnie, I hope Arnie doesn't play very much, if I'm being honest, just to kind of keep him rested and healed up. Um, it's always fun to see 
when players from your team are, are playing international and sometimes as West Ham, we don't really get to see that too often, but to, uh, to that credit, I hope that he might take time to rest up unless he fully is healed. Then why not keep his form up? Um, with Yarmolenko, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, did they already play a game? They did. He didn't uh, feature did. and didn't come on as a sub. He didn't start okay. or come on as a sub, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, I want to see him keep playing, and I think that from the last international break, he kind of came back even a little more excited, had some more fire and form um, under him from playing. So I hope that, you know, maybe they'll get to play him in this next game before they come back. Um, I don't even know if Snodgrass was in the actual squad itself. I know he got called up, but you know, anytime a player like that has an opportunity and, and, you know, with Snodgrass, he has so much fire and compassion anyway, that I think that just getting him out there and getting more repetition, as long as you can stay healthy is good. And then I feel like I'm missing somebody. Uh, Mazuaku and Fabianski. Oh yeah. Mazuaku is interesting. I think we talked a little bit about him and, and we may touch on him and some, some more questions coming up. Uh, that is for the African Cup of or League of Nations. I don't want to say that wrong. Maybe it's Cup of Nations. It's actually just but, the, just uh, in general the League of Nations. It's a League global of sort of organization of football matches with some sort of weight on them. Got it. So I mean that's huge. I think uh, I spent some time in my younger years in Africa, and, and they love their football there. And it's always a fun environment, kind of watching uh, watching that. So you know maybe you know maybe he does like we talked about. He can find a little extra compassion some fire and some get some compassion and get some some motivation again just to get back and play in football and then uh fabianski you know he he anytime anybody asks me who our best player has been so far this year to me it has to be him um and he didn't do anything wrong in the brighton game it was just a bad a bad run of games so i think that obviously him playing um and i I think i've repeated myself three times but (laughs) getting ready to play and and just continuing that form that they have is 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 good in these games i'm not too familiar and i wish scott was on here to uh to tell us about it but uh apparently you know the league of nations has some pull to it so it's not just a friendly there's some actual um competition to it so maybe i should uh brush up on my history of this it'd be it'd be a fresh (laughs) history but actually i will i will um apologize to you uh, Congo was playing two matches on the 13th and 16th of October, um, and they're both qualification matches for the African Cup of Nations, uh, not the Nations League as we were talking about before. So you okay. were you were totally right on that. Um, but yeah, I, I can't. I again, I can't really disagree too much with what you're saying um, because you basically were just you just gave a, a nice overview of those players. Um, don't want your Yarmolenko to play too much. Don't want Arnautovic to play at all. Um, but Snodgrass is interesting to me because he's not starting for West Ham at the moment, but he seems to be one of the first choice subs to come on, mm-hmm. which is nothing, nothing short of, uh, of, of earned. Um, but he also didn't start in Scotland's, uh, nation's league match, uh, which they are currently in now. If you give me one second, I'm going to pull it up and I can actually tell us the live score update. They're up one, nothing or one nil, I should say, uh, at the half. Uh, let me just look here. Okay, so uh, wow, Israel came from behind and took the match two to one. Oh wow! So uh, Scotland scored in the twenty-fifth minute, and then fifty-second minute, and uh, Tierney scored an own goal in the seventy-fourth minute, sunk them. Uh, but it should be uh, noted that Snodgrass was not in this lineup here; uh, he wasn't a sub or anything. So uh, I think. There's an emphasis going towards 
getting the next uh, players for the nation in line for Scotland. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can see it happening with Ireland too, with, with so much emphasis going on Declan Rice and his uh, his national allegiance. And as well, Connor Coventry's get, got the call up for the, uh, I believe, the under 20s for uh, Ireland. Don't quote me on he the did. actual. He did. I think okay. I saw that too. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, so there's this emphasis on getting the, the next best. Uh, and I think Snodgrass brings a lot to a locker room. Uh, he's like that that archetypal vet, you know what I mean? Like he brings a he brings good goal scoring ability actually, and he brings very good uh, locker room presence, experience, all of that stuff. He knows how to get serious when he needs to. He knows how to keep it loose when he needs to. Um, I don't know if he'll play in their friendly, which is coming up later next week, but uh, I do expect that he will probably at least be a, a bench option for that. But he's probably looked at more as a player coach now than than anything else. Right. And I think uh, just to extend off of that real quick, I think, I mean, obviously I'm familiar with how um, the U.S. has done it kind of, like you said, expanding on younger players and getting younger competition out there because that's the, the goal now, obviously, with World Cup and the different um, different cups that are out there. Um, I think it, it is. It's just a it's the goal now. It's not so much like oh, we're just going to accept the fact that we're not as good. I think a lot of different countries want to see youth and they want to see that promise coming up and, and, and Ireland and, and Scotland for sure, uh, need that. Uh, they haven't had much competitiveness, um, in the world stage in the last several years. So I think, um, needing that and, and seeing that you're probably right. I think, and, and he has got up in age and he is a good, um, asset as far as whenever it comes to teaching and, and having a lot of veteran experience, if you will. Across different leagues too, which is important. Um, mm-hmm. But we do have one final question here to go over, and then we will uh, let everyone get on to their lives without Premier League football. This one comes from Tony from the American West Ham podcast. Uh, shout out to them; they're they're doing the they're doing the damn thing every week for uh, American and, and other West Ham fans as well. But they're bringing that extra voice to the uh, podcast world, so we appreciate their contributions to us, and we're happy to uh, to contribute as much as we can to them. So, shout out to Tony and Brawley there. Go give them a listen and a follow if you don't already at West Ham Pod USA on Twitter. Tony asks us, uh, come out strong for the second time after an international break, took Everton by surprise, and could we really give Tottenham a go? Uh, it's, you know, it was the international break that really was taken advantage of by West Ham uh, to jumpstart their season after that abysmal first month in one game of, of Premier League action. Uh, do you think they can do it again? I think that, uh, you know, I'm confident and optimistic that we can. Uh Tottenham, to me, is a better side than Everton, but Everton was also strong, and it is Tottenham, and it is a uh, it's a London Derby game. So I, I think that uh, getting that's always going to bring players up. It's going to bring the fans up. The stadium's going to be packed. It's going to be rocking, and and the comp the level of the players is going to be up because of the game. Um, I am hopeful though that yes, the break can get some more training in, can get. Um, tired legs maybe a little time to rest as well and i'm hopeful i think that we will bring it i don't know i don't have a good uh a good preview for you yet and even a prediction of a score but i do think that we will bring it and it's going to help um whether that's a draw or a victory i'll have to wait and see yeah so i i agree with what you're saying there that it's a, it's a game that west ham usually gets up for anyways uh mm-hmm. the london derby 
A couple of bonuses uh, are the injuries that Tottenham have currently. Uh, so Danny Rose had to pull out of uh, England's team with a groin strain. Uh, Jan Vertonghen's been confirmed out until at least December. Uh, Moussa Dembele is injured with a thigh injury. Deli Ali has a hamstring injury, no date to return. Uh, Dembele should be back for the 20th of October. And Serge Aurier should be back. Uh, Christian Eriksen could possibly be back for this match. Uh, and Janssen also may be back. So you never know. Uh, there's some certain big players that are out there. Certainly Danny Rose, Jan Vertonghen, and Deli Ali uh, to be missing that match, which is uh, which is something that we can totally capitalize on. But I do think we can give them a run. We can sort of really focus in on uh, getting that uh, getting that. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how to say it, but we but we got a kick in the ass in that that terrible loss to Wolves before the end of uh, the before the end of the first set of matches prior to the first international break, and we got a kick in the ass with that Brighton loss, and it could be that sort of instigating factor that uh, that steps out for uh, Manuel Pellegrini to focus on, drill on, and sort of get the team motivated to not let happen again. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, any, any final thoughts on anything West Ham related here, Jeremiah? Um, I did want to bring up real quick and, uh, I don't know if we're going to touch on it next, uh, an interesting, uh, podcast I heard we were talking about the West Ham way. They had kind of touched base on the, who might be able to fill in for left back if, you know, Mazawaku isn't going to be an option. Obviously we have Crest back there and I know we have the young guy in uh, Joe Powell. I don't know how ready he will be, but they did bring up the op- the maybe option of Ogbonna. So I was curious if we had time to kind of just briefly kind of talk about that and uh, what your thoughts were. Yeah, I think that's a, actually a good question. And again, shout out to those guys. Dave and X were on that show, but Kev as well. Usually uh, they're sort of that go-to. They're, they're the, mm-hmm. the, the top tier when it comes to West Ham podcast. So um, we have lots of aspirations to be on that level one day. But uh, for now, we'll just sort of... Uh, answer the questions that they brought up as well. So I think Ogbonna at left back um, scares me. Uh, I, I Also, uh, Powell is, I believe, a midfielder, is he not? I could be wrong. I don't know. Uh, I got to get into my, get in some research on that. You might be right. He, he might be able to play both. I don't know. Let me... Yeah, so he is technically okay. a, uh, a midfielder there, attacking midfielder, uh, can play the wings. But... Um, Ben Johnson is a right back. I'm sure you know a young kid would be happy to play in that position, but it really does come down to Mazuaku or Cresswell. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think you even factor in Ogbonna to the uh, the whole thing. Um, I would rather change the formation to three at the back with wing backs to make Mazuaku a better player because I mm-hmm. don't think that there's anything I would want to see less than Ogbonna with the attacking players lining up against them, cutting into him. He has such such a desire to stick his leg out and make terrible, terrible tackling challenges mm-hmm. that just miss the ball. And it's happened so many times before. Um, and at center back, sometimes he gets away with it because of the space restriction. But with there being open wings, uh, he gets up the pitch well, but he's he's got a, a small tank, I think. And I just don't see him as being a, a viable option of anything other than uh, just going to be like a, a penalty penalty machine for other teams to take advantage of what about you yeah no i uh i somewhat agree i mean i'm kind of i don't want to say i'm done with masawaku but it does scare me to think about agbana just especially how he's played this year 
you know, and I think he did maybe play there maybe once um, in the last season or two for like a cup game. Um, I might be wrong on that again. And, and you're absolutely right about Powell. So my apologies for that. He is a, a labeled as an attacking midfield and can play the wings. So yeah, I don't, I don't know where my head was on that one, but uh, anyway, uh, yeah. So he does scare me. Um, could we put him out there? Sure. I don't think if we did, if something crazy happened and we did put him out there, um, I wouldn't want to play the high back four. I would want to play more traditional because um, his pace, like you said, he's going to get burnt out quick. And he's just a, a, a mistake and sticking a leg out there kind of thing waiting to happen. And you either have a penalty or you get a nice free kick from, from the outside of the box. So I think, yeah, that's a dangerous move to make. Um, but, you know, all this talk about left back definitely opens it up to um, eventually getting into the conversation of, you know, who we might want to try to transfer in at left back and who go pick up. But yeah, it does scare me. I know it's an option and it's not maybe a good option to have. It makes me wonder what's going on with Cresswell. If uh, maybe injury stuff still plaguing him or he just doesn't have it anymore. Um, that's not really for me to say, but yeah, playing armchair manager, I wouldn't really, uh, I wouldn't really like that option too much. No, we, 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 we definitely agree on that. If it worst came to worse, I guess maybe, but like, <sighs> It just doesn't seem it just doesn't seem likely at this point that that would be a, a solid option there. Right. Uh, I think it's as good a time to any and in, in the in a good time to to leave off the episode here. We will be back next week for a uh, for more Twitter questions, more conversations on West Ham, but also a Tottenham match preview. Um, so until we see you guys then, uh, have a great week, and we'll talk more West Ham next week. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.